the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Monday, April 5th, 2021. As we go into our second hour, it's a delight to welcome back Brandon Weikert, who joins us every Tuesday in our, excuse me, every Monday in our second hour uh, to talk foreign policy and a little domestic as well. He is, among other things, the author of one of the more important books of last year, Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower. And he is the publisher of The Weikert Report, theweikertreport.com. And he spells his name W-E-I-C-H-E-R-T. Gotten a lot of feedback that people really do appreciate these segments because foreign policy gets neglected in a lot of other places. Not here. Brandon, thank you and welcome back. Thank you. And uh, it's nice to always know I have a uh, an opening to talk about the issues that I think are important here. You do, Brandon. You always have this opening, and I want you to know that. And we appreciate that uh, you uh, you uh, you like it as well. Uh, sometimes the foreign policy uh, does impinge on uh, domestic policy, sometimes on cultural policy. And I suppose as the world gets yep. smaller, right, we were going to see more of yep. this. Yep. Talk to me. I mean, China is now everywhere. I, Nancy Pelosi said with Trump, all roads lead to Russia, which was, I think, a massive overstatement and exaggeration. <laughs> but, 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 but it seems Every major thing in this country, culturally and politically now, is a road that leads to China, MLB, yeah. Georgia, Atlanta, the whole the whole thing. It's all it's why why MLB or companies like Delta and Coca Cola think they can lecture Georgia yeah. while they're inking yeah, brand new deals with China, including companies like Tencent, which yeah. which crushed the NBA because because one coach had the. T- audacity to stand up for the Hong Kong people of Hong Kong. Right. China's getting bigger and bigger here, it seems like. So uh, I'm going to tell you what one of the, uh, like I'm not going to say the company, but it's a major um, private um, shipping company that everybody uses. Uh, He told me at a briefing that I gave two years ago, Quote, if I don't do business in China, my competitors will and my company will lose out. Right. And I think it's imperative for everyone to understand that the businesses in America are when we're talking about things like MLB or or, you know, uh, you know, you name the major company, Apple, whatever. Um, these are not really, even if they have headquarters or they have a lot of workers in America or their, their leadership are American uh, nationality-wise, uh, they're actually multinational companies. It's a great point. And, the head of Coca-Cola is not an American, literally doesn't even right. live here. Yeah, right. Right, right. So these are not, I mean, they may be American brands or started out that way, but these are not really American companies anymore. They have... Um, you know, if you're a globalist, you think they've evolved beyond petty bourgeois nationality and they were nationalism and they're now globalism. And so the bottom line is the these companies being driven only by money and profit, they're going to go 
where the best deals for their companies are. Or they're going to go where there's a massive untapped market with high growth potential. And so from a business standpoint, it makes perfect sense why Hollywood, MLB, NBA, you pick your favorite major American brand, are now going into China. And not only are they going into China, but they're now also besmirching the United States for being supposedly racist or or unfair or whatever. Well, it's not necessarily because they don't like America. It's just because they want to win over that market share in China, and they don't really care about the political aspects or the national security implications. They're not paid to worry about that, and the incentive structure is just not for that in their world. And so the only thing the United States can do now is to punish those businesses. And I think the Republicans in Congress are looking at removing the antitrust exemption for Major League Baseball. It's very sad that we have to do that because that used to be one of the sports that was, you know, the most American. Well, you know, now now they're having to look into, to, you know, regulating in ways that we traditionally did not think of needing to regulate or even want to regulate these storied enterprises as a form of punishment, as a form of forcing these companies to actually respect the United States. There's another aspect here that's being overlooked. The Biden administration, and we all have problems with the Biden administration, but I have been very fair to them. I do think that they've been more serious about the China threat than I thought they were going to be, and that's good. And the Biden administration has at least paid lip service to the idea of needing to go after and contain China, and they want to do it along you know, this sort of ideological grounds, fellow democracy, human rights, et cetera. I think that might be over over the top in some cases. But I get what they're trying to do. The problem is, if you're going to do an ideological campaign against China, as we did against the Soviet Union in the Cold War, you've got to make sure that some of your biggest brands, your corporations, are not actually secretly doing business with the enemy. That's right. And not actually secretly banking on the enemy winning. That's right. And it seems to me like the capital is going into China, which is encouraging greater levels of interest from these businesses. And these businesses that used to be pro-American and used to be from America are saying, hey, you know what? We think uh, America sucks now. And by the way, we think China is the future. So, you know, we're going to ding you guys and not mention anything about human rights violations against the Uyghurs, the Hong Kongers against what's going on in Macau, what's going on against Christians in, uh, in China, what's going on against the Falun Gong. We don't care. But voting rights in Georgia, which is not really that big of a deal, uh, we're going to make it a, you know, a national, international crisis. And that's what's happening now. That's a really great series of points you outlined, uh, Brandon. That's exactly where we are. We're talking to Brandon Weikert. You said something... Um Interesting, many things interesting, but one of the things I paused on was when you said, from an economic standpoint, it makes all the sense in the world to do as much business as you can in China, given what your friends uh, or your acquaintance said, and given what we all know, that if, if you write off China, you're, you're, you're consigning it to your competitors, and it's a huge market. And it does right. make – so, yes, one does understand that economic – um, that that economic gravitation towards it, except for one thing, except for one thing, the labor camps, right? I mean, 
and 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 I guess that's not part of the economic equation, but it should be. We have well, talked before. I'm so glad you did the Soviet Union because we have talked before. That was something we didn't have in the long twilight struggle. Right. We didn't have a lot of corporations that wanted to do business with the Soviet Union. We right. had a patriotism not only amongst them, but funny enough, amongst the trade unions as well. People like George right. Meany, and, and and that day is that's gone. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's important to note, and I and I don't mean to, I don't want to get into danger here, but some of these corporations actually have no pro, and actually look at the slave labor as a positive because it's cheap labor, and it, you're it's not getting in any trouble labor. with me. I've been calling out Nike well, no, and, and think, the NBA for years on this on this crud. Right. Yeah. So I mean, you know, in some ways, it's very there's a perverse incentive. You know, we can pay these these people pennies on the dollar to do what an American requires minimum wage to do, uh, we can do it for a few cents or a few dollars, and they're going to like it, and they're going to take it, and we're going to, and then we have state backing to force these people to do labor, and let's face it, they may not talk about this openly, but these companies know full well what's going on. They're lobbying they against, figure, and they are lobbying, they are spending millions of dollars on on, on K Street lobbyists in Washington, right. D.C., to defeat <laughs> anti-slavery legislation in China. That's right, that's right, that's right, and so... Um, you know, they, these industries are clearly telling you they will go where the money is, yeah. not where the flag is. That's right. And um, that's the future. And so, you know, this was the one concern I had about the Trump agenda was, you know, they were right to want to kind of repeat containment of China or the way we did with Russia or Soviet Union. But, you know, David Goldman talks about this and I've been talking about this. You know, the, the concern is. China is the second largest economy in the world. It actually, according to the IMF, grew. Uh, it was the only economy in 2020 to actually grow. And according to the IMF, in the next two to three years, it will be the number one economy in the world in GDP terms, uh, displacing the United States for the first time since 1918. And um, with, that, with that becoming a reality, you can't really contain China. You can't, not the way we did the Soviet Union. It's going to require a multifaceted approach. And so, and I don't know how we're going to do it because our political leaders in both parties are very one dimensional in the way they approach a foreign policy problem. And then you have the business community, which has so much influence, as you pointed out, over the political system here. Our business community has no incentive whatsoever to not do business in China. Perfect. And so now you're just yeah. feeding the dragon yeah. as Uncle Sam is being drained of will and good leadership and resources. So I don't know how we're going to do this. I have some ideas. Let, let me yeah, let me pick up with that on you. Uh, uh, yeah, let me pick up with you on that on the other side of this break sure. because there is a fundamental series of difficulties engaging in economic uh, combat with a uh, with a country that can do things the United States simply can't do. I mean, they can just give a corporation property for opening it up uh, there. We can't, we can't exactly do that kind of thing here. Let's talk more about that with Brandon Weikert when we come back. I'm Seth Liebson. Happy to take your calls, too. 602-508-0960. little Hall of Notes for you there on uh, this uh, Monday afternoon. Delighted to have Brandon Weikert with us, publisher of the Weikert Report, want to get to his column in the Asia Times in a moment, too, where he is also a columnist. Brandon, right before the break, we were just talking a little bit out loud about how hard it is to compete with China, given the incentives a country like China can shower 
upon a corporation yeah. that wants to do business there uh, in ways we can't. Uh, we, as America, yeah. we just don't do. Maybe, maybe some of our laws have to change on that front. But I wonder what some of your thinking Absolutely. is on this. Yeah. Well, so the first thing is we need to really strengthen our uh, ability to regulate companies. Uh, for instance, uh, the Committee for, Re- for Investment in the U.S., CFIUS, uh, that prevents China, especially at least on paper, from buying strategic or buying into strategically important American industries like uh, chip, uh, uh, semiconductor chips, computer chips. Um, we want to we want to expand that capability to make it very hard for China or Chinese-affiliated firms to gain access through third-party buyouts uh, in the United States. Conversely, things like tech transfers. So when an American tech firm, especially a tech firm, wants to do business in China, they usually are required by the Chinese government to basically hand over their company uh, intellectual secrets or intellectual property. And that allows the Chinese government to then give that intellectual property to Chinese firms, and then they reverse engineer. And before, uh, you know, the American firm knows it, the uh, China doesn't want them there because they've already gotten access to the intellectual property and they've reverse engineered their own version, and now they're a competitor to the American firm. So something that we could be doing to prevent those American firms from even trying to go over in the first place to China is we label any tech transfer from those companies to China as an illicit uh, bribe. It's a, it's a form of a foreign, and under the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, we would label that as a bribe, and that would stunt and stymie the ability or the incentive for American tech firms to hand over proprietary information or technology as part of any initial business deal with China, uh, which would slowly bleed China dry. And then, of course, what we need to do also Instead of raising the corporate tax here in the United States, as the Biden administration is proposing to do, we should actually be lowering the corporate tax rate. That way we get a lot of these businesses that are no longer here in America, we get them to onshore. This is something that uh, Donald Trump wanted to do. We try to get them to come back home, and we give them certain incentives. And when they come back home with legislation, we basically lock them in and say, you cannot go over and do what you're doing anymore to China, and then we're going to need to label China as some kind of a rogue nation or something along those lines that would allow for the legislation to be enacted. Now, all of this stuff is doable, but it's not going to happen because those businesses have a lot of influence and financial pull over the political system, and they don't want it to happen. So, I, you know, this is why I say I don't know if I have a solution. I certainly have ideas for policies. But the question is, will anybody listen? And I don't know. And, and, and also you have the problem of China is, you know, an insane amount of people. It's a huge market share. And despite what the IMF and the World Economic Forum think, China is a developed, not a developing, it is a developed, advanced economy. And they are highly integrated into the world order. So I don't know what more we're going to be able to do. I mean, one of the things we could be doing also is diversifying the industries that we have in China, getting those American Western firms to diversify their manufacturing out of China into places like Vietnam, the Philippines, Mexico, the United States, you know, other countries and not as dependent on China, get those supply chains out of China. But that requires an initial move from these companies that I don't see happening because it's just too darn hard for them to do that. And they don't want to lose that market share. They're, they're fearing if they leave, 
one of their competitors will move in and fill the void left by them, and then they'll just lose money. You know, I, I like everything you said, and 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 I'll, I'll throw in one more. It's it's more theoretical and, and a little more difficult. But at some point, maybe Americans will come to grips with this, and it's the fact that, you know, China is a serious country, and yeah. I'm not sure America is. We're not. I don't think no, China cares about the things we care about. Who said this the other that day? Bill Maher, maybe. They don't care about Dr. Yeah. Seuss, you know? Well, the, the Bill Maher was parroting what I've been saying for the last two years. Good. We're an unserious people in a very serious time. I will say this. Uh, in my recent Washington Times uh, op-ed, I made it very clear. The United States, we're going to be in a major great power war, another world war, very, very soon, I think within the next few years. And I think the United States is going to decisively lose that fight. And I think it's going to be China and Russia against us. And I think what's going to happen is China's going to blind us in space. They're going to deprive us of the electromagnetic spectrum so that our forces can't communicate and use our, our gear. And then they're going to also deprive us of cyberspace capabilities that will then allow for their Navy and Air Force to have temporary supremacy over ours. And that will force us to enter into a negotiated settlement with Beijing that will favor Beijing because the Chinese are figuring we don't have the backbone anymore to fight them. And furthermore, despite all the money we spend on defense, our military is a hollow force and that they can take it with the right kind of pinprick strike. And I think they're right. And so I think that the unserious people that we are are about to be shown as being truly unserious and incapable to the rest of the world very soon. And Beijing has no problem being the ones to show that because they want to displace us as the world power. And I think in the next decade, if trends persist, they will be the world's greatest power and we will be second fiddle, declining, and probably, you know, God help us, at war with ourselves. Yeah, I want to ask you, those are the subjects of two of your recent columns for the Asia Times, aren't they? Uh, one of yeah. them is America weaker than China, and then as Eurasia yeah. rises, America declines. We'll talk about that when we come back. But tell us, you are a new columnist at the Asia Times. Tell us a little bit about the Asia Times. The Asia Times is, it was founded in 1995. I've been reading it since I was in college. Uh, David Goldman is one of the editors over there. He writes, I mean, he sometimes writes under the pseudonym of Spangler. David Goldman is probably one of the leading experts on China and sort of the business side of, of Asia. Um, and it was through him that I became aware that, that they were looking for someone. And I, and I, you know, he put, put in a word for me. Uh, he and I share a lot of similar views on China right. and technology. And um, they've been around since 95. They are, I think, probably the most independent, fair-minded, uh, best-written geopolitical journal. Uh, and they have about, I think, 12 million uh, readers uh, mostly in Asia. It's an international uh, website based in Hong Kong. It's a great group. I highly recommend Asia Times for everybody. It's probably the best source of geopolitical and international news, aside from my own website out there. <laughs> so those two websites, <laughs> as we go to break, yes. the, the Weikert Report, W-E-I-C-H-E-R-T, the Weikert Report, and AsiaTimes.com, AsiaTimes.com. Yeah, let's talk about U.S. and Chinese, uh, and China's relative strength when we come back and uh, take some calls. I see some calls lining up for you, too, Brandon. Thank you. We'll be right back with more from Brandon Weikert. Always room for more as well, 
for present. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Brandon Weikert is our guest. We'll take your calls in just a moment. I want to get through a couple things Brandon has uh, written for the Asia Times. Brandon, um, as Eurasia rises, America declines. Uh, talk to us about this uh, direct threat to the United States that we're watching through the Eurasian uh, paradigm here. Well, Eurasia, that's Europe and Asia, is home to the world's largest uh, population density. It's home to uh, the world's most amount of arable land, most most amount of potable water, um, a majority of, well, a near majority of the world's most precious and important mineable resources. Uh, historically, Eurasia has been divided against itself. Uh, countries like China, Russia, India... Uh, you know, all the Central Asian stands uh, and the European countries traditionally did not get along. So it was easy for, historically, a country like the British Empire and now today the United States and its allies to have trade and gain access with relative ease to those resources of Eurasia. Um, but today we now have the formation of, in the beginning at least, of one, of a potentially pan-Eurasian block of states that are united in two things, their love of autocracy and their general disdain and antipathy toward the United States. Today we see China and Russia growing closer with each day. Uh, these are two traditional enemies, so it's, it's really incredible that they're even getting along the way they are. We see um, uh, Iran now being brought into that mix. Turkey, a NATO ally, is now joining this league. Uh, you know, you have several other smaller countries hopping on board. North Korea is now also back in the, the mix, no longer content to even be nice to the United States, or at least under Trump they were. Uh, and you now have this coordination going on. Again, it's very rudimentary, but it is a historic step where you now have this coordination going on between these usual rivals, and they may not all like each other, and they may not all have the same objective, but they do share one thing, and that is their loathing toward America's power projection. And so they are developing together ways to reduce America's ability to gain access to Eurasia, and that is the essence of the foreign policy that we see being enacted. And so for the first time in history... You may actually, through these early steps, be witnessing the first birth pangs of a real united Eurasia, which, given all those resources and all the people there and all of the things that they have at their disposal, if trends persisted along these lines, you would have actually an entity in Eurasia that could not only believably challenge the American superstate, but that could probably defeat us as well. And so, especially as technology... Uh, and the economy over there in, intensifies and, and increases and capabilities increase in their favor, uh, this is a big problem, especially today now, where not only the Western alliance is divided against itself and weak, but the United States itself is divided against itself. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, this is a really, I mean, again, it's very early birth pains, but big things have small beginnings. Yep. And li like John Cain said of bankruptcy, uh, a, a Eurasian anti-American alliance could happen slowly and then all at once. Yep. And I think that's what we're looking at now, especially 
as the Washington foreign policy elite continue to uh, get things wrong on Iran, continue to alienate our allies in the Middle East, continue to uh, aggravate the Russians needlessly at a time when they supposedly are trying to go after China. We should be trying to divide uh, Eurasia against itself, not force the great powers on Eurasia together, which is what we've been doing. And so all of this is leading into a very bad place where we could actually lose the world. And I think it's going to happen at this rate. You have a haunting similar piece uh, from a little earlier, Is America Weaker Than China? And uh, I almost want to ask you directly about it, but I also kind of have a caller on point. So why don't we get a caller to go into that on the other side of this break, if that's okay, Brandon? And uh, we have a few we have a few calls for you. So I'm Seth Liebson. He's Brandon Weikert. The Weikert Report is his website. Great reading every uh, every uh, every day. Uh, and um, and a columnist for the Asian Times. Happy to take your calls. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Brandon Weikert is our guest, as he is every Monday. And I wanted to get into this column of yours, Brandon, uh, Is America um, Weaker Than China? But there's an interesting way to get there, and you'll see it. Rob and Surprise has a question for you. Go ahead, Rob. Hi, Seth. Hi, Brandon. Great show so far. Hey, Thank Brandon, you. Brandon, you know, you've been hitting all the right notes uh, as far as my heart and mind is concerned. Um, I... I think along your lines. I think that we are truly and incredibly doomed unless the major changes take place, uh, both in the military and in the political arena in Washington. What my question really focuses on is whether you know if there are any people within the Washington, D.C. bureaucracy who think like you and are trying to convince those, you know, at the higher level of second and first butter cutter in the bureaucracy, um, that they could uh, maybe tell this, uh, quote-unquote, president uh, that we are in danger, that we need to, you know, beef up the, quote-unquote, uh, woke military um, and and get some war fighters and some uh, uh, serious people in charge right. of the threat, which comes from China. Thanks, yeah. Rob. So, the, the, yeah, the answer to your question is there are people. I actually talk to them regularly. A lot of them are in the Air Force. Um, and uh, just two weeks ago I was in D.C. And, and a group of one of the senior guys in the Pentagon for the Air Force was telling me about some of the things that he's trying to, to convince the Secretary of Defense and the Secretary of the Air Force to do. Uh, it sounds like he's being listened to. There are people, brigadier generals, two- and three-star generals, who are very much keenly aware of these weaknesses. The problem is uh, the bureaucracy itself, yes, resisting new ideas, but also a lot of the new things they want to do, they need congressional approval to do. And both, and the Republicans are as stupid as the Democrats are uh, when it comes to funding the military, because they, you know, on paper, yes, we give them a lot of money, uh, but the problem is we're allocating that money to the wrong places, and so, you know, it, that's the problem. Is, is the political system in this country is completely broken, 
Uh, and, um, you know, there are a handful of really well-versed people, not just at the lower echelon of the command structure, but people even in the Pentagon who listen to me or who agree with me and have already come to these conclusions on their own. And the problem is they, 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 they're getting some movement, but it's one step forward, two steps back. And so the, the, the real issue is, are they going to be able to implement any of these reforms before China gets too big for its britches and says, we're going to try to take the Americans out. I don't know. I, that's why I'm not, in my book I open with a space Pearl Harbor. And as I say in the book, it could come from either China or Russia, uh, especially since those two countries are now working in tandem so closely together. And both of those countries have uh, you know, expressed an opinion consistently uh, that they think the United States is declining and that eventually they'll be able to pick us clean. And I think that they're going to act on that sooner rather than later, especially, oddly enough, as the Biden administration keeps trying to beat its chest uh, against the Russians and the Chinese on these different geopolitical issues. So we could be expediting the coming uh, galvanizing event like a space Pearl Harbor. And that's, that's a real nightmare scenario because, you know, we're not going to have the capacity to respond in an effective way once the Chinese take out the satellites take out cyberspace, take out the EM spectrum, then you've got a handful of U.S. Navy ships floating around with targets on their back, and you've got a handful of U.S. you know, Air Force warplanes, maybe some allied ones, with targets on their backs. And if they go down, reinforcements are just over the horizon but will not be coming anytime soon. And the longer that we wait to respond to an attack like that, the more advantage the Chinese or the Russians would have and the more likely it would be that we would either need to negotiate a settlement that would that would not be in our interest, or we would have to escalate into, God forbid, nuclear weapons. And by the way, if the Chinese and Russians can take out our satellites like for communication or surveillance, they also can and will target our nuclear command and control satellites, our NC3 capabilities. And once you remove those capabilities, our nuclear retaliatory uh, you know, capability is gone. And then the Russians and or Chinese can run roughshod over the world, because that's the only thing keeping them back, really, is fear of nuclear reprisal from the United States. This is why, by the way, the Russians, uh, during the solar winds attack, uh, the hack last year, they targeted the nuclear um, uh, security, the, the National Nuclear Security Agency, because they were trying to test how secure our nuclear codes were. They've never done anything like that. Not even during the Cold War could they ever do something similar, or would the, the Russians have done something similar for fear of reprisal. But today, the Russians and Chinese, they're not afraid of us. They don't care. They're gonna, they want to take us. They're going to do whatever they have to to take us out. And, and I think you're seeing that happen now slowly. Boy, if you had professors of Soviet history or Soviet international affairs in the 80s and 90s, like we have you, uh, Brandon, with China, we would have won the Cold War a lot faster. Well, well You're done, very sir. Kind. Well, you. well done. Doug is in Maricopa. Hello, Doug. How you doing, Seth? Nice to hear your voice, sir. Thank you. Same, same here. Uh, Mr. Weicker, I, I'm calling because I think uh, Seth said something that has been a bugaboo of mine this last year. I've kind of given up on conservative philosophy. You know, we can go into a lot of interesting conversations, but I find it very nonproductive because really the main problem 
is us, uh, the conservatives. Uh, When you when you look at the bureaucracy, when you look at the political situation, when you look at China, there's little to fear on the right. There's immense fear, immensity to a fear on the left. And it, you know, when you look at China, the the corporations don't fear the United States and anything that we will do. Right. You know the I, you know, and it's the same thing with the corporations in America. They they fear the left, though so they'll cut. You know, they'll coddle them. That's right. And there's no pushback on the right. So. There's no narrative that we have won because we've advanced no narrative. Our right. main response is the people will understand. Well, I've heard that for 40 years, and we've right. lost every institution, and now including the military, because the generals fear nothing. And the bureaucracy actually won't fear our decline, most of them, because they have government jobs, and they won't lose their pensions. That, that's a, that's, a, that's a tough scenario, Doug. Um let me have Brandon respond to it on the other side of the break. Is that cool? We'll close. Sure. That would be great. That sounds kind of negative. I know. No, no, it's fine though. I mean, this is we're in the we're in the worry business here, Doug, and I think you captured it well. Uh, I'll be right back and have Brandon answer that. We'll be uh, taking. I may ex- see if Brandon can extend. We have a lot of calls for him. We'll see. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. If you don't get him, you'll get me. We'll be right back. She brought integrity back to solar in Arizona. I'm talking about my friend Solar Sandy. The difference between Solar Sandy and other solar companies is is she actually figured out how to truly zero out your power bill. It's so important when going solar, you do it the right way, and Solar Sandy is the right way. She has the formula. She wants to put more of your hard-earned money back in your pocket. When you go solar, Solar Sandy will pay 12 months of your solar payments, any portion of your power bill for the first 12 months, and final four, because it's March Madness, Solar Sandy's promotion for the first 50 families, you will receive a $1,000 signing bonus. That's right. No solar panel payments, no power bill for 12 months, and a $1,000 bonus at signing. There's no better time to go solar, Solar Sandy, than right now. Go to AskSolarSandy.com. Again, that's AskSolarSandy.com. Brandon uh, Weikert, publisher of the Weikert Report, has graciously agreed to stay with us into the next hour because there is so much caller interest in what he had to say. But, Brandon, that last caller, Doug, was painting a scenario where as hard as you said it was to make things uh, uh, improve our condition, uh, perhaps even can improve our comprehensive national power, uh, Doug even pointed out harder ones, you know, the bureaucrats. Anyway, you heard it. Go ahead. Yeah, well, well, you know, it makes me want to drink a lot of wine. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's it's one of those things where elections really do have consequences. And let's face it, uh, the Republican Party since Reagan has not really been doing well. Even when we've won elections, we don't nominate the best people to lead us from sort of that conservative or ideological paradigm. And it shows. And uh, or when we do, it's, you know, we nominate somebody who, let's face it, may be great in terms of executing an agenda, but is, from a personality standpoint, quite off-putting. And so you then have a position where no matter what, half the country is going to be against that person just because they don't like the way he looks or yep. the way he talks yep. or what he says. Yep. And so it's a very complicated situation. But basically, the reason you're seeing the changes in the military, you know, away from this sort of Reagan conservative paradigm, which it traditionally was, 
Well, it was it's that way because Reagan was so influential, and he put people into power, and then they put people into p- positions of the bureaucracy who could influence and shape the military beyond those eight years of Reagan. And that can bu- and that can work both ways, by the way, right? Yes, you can, it can. And, and that and that's Democrat- why we say personnel is. Po- Let me do this. Let me have you finish that answer when we call you back, and then take those other calls, just because yeah. I have the tyranny of this hard break right before the top of the no hour problem. news. Is that cool, Brandon? I didn't mean to give you short shrift there, but you'll have a fuller uh, ability to to finish that thought. And as I say, we have a bunch of callers on hold for you. If you're on hold, stay with us. We'll get you on with Brandon Weikert when we come back at the uh, other side of this break. Great stuff, Brandon, as you can tell. We'll be right back.